verses 6 through 15. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15. Let me remind you uh, that before I read this, that this is God's good and kind and gracious word to you and for you this morning. So give attention to it. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them, over them in Him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us understand His Word. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank You for giving us this Word today, and we pray that You would, by it, help us to see the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ, that we would be captivated by Him and nothing else. Father, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged with the gospel today, that we would be transformed by this good news. And again, Lord, that we would love Jesus even as we have been loved by Him. We pray that You would do all this by the work of the Spirit in and through the preaching of Your Word. For Your sake and for Your glory, we pray it. Amen. This morning, I do want to begin by thinking a little bit about beauty. Because I'm convinced that part of what it means to be human, created in the image of God, is to be drawn to and captivated by what is beautiful. In fact, I think that you can trace every single thought, every single word, and every single deed you have or have had to whatever it is that you think is the most beautiful thing in this world. Now, I think that can be demonstrated rationally, and philosophers do take time to demonstrate that truth rationally. I think uh, C.S. Lewis has done a fair amount of work on that, and you can read uh, at least a Christian philosopher on, uh, on that. But I also think that you can uh, see this demonstrated, more importantly, biblically. You see, God tells us that because we are made in His image, that we were made to seek after and to know God. And God is beauty. The human problem, therefore, isn't that we are seeking after beauty. It's that because of sin, we don't know what real beauty is. Our hearts were made for beauty, but we settle for things that are, one, either dim substitutes of the beautiful or are artificial beauties masquerading as the real thing. 
I don't have time to go into all of that, but I hope those things will become more clear. I want you to grant for me just for now that, uh, that just for the moment that all of our lives are geared to whatever it is that we think is the most beautiful. Well, this morning in the earlier service, we baptized Jackson. Uh, we had the privilege of celebrating that baptiz- baptism with uh, Hannah and Caleb. And in doing that, Hannah and Caleb took vows to raise him as a Christian. And then the congregation also took a vow to help Hannah and Caleb raise him as a Christian. To be a Christian means nothing less than to be captivated by the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. The danger is that while we might think that we find Jesus beautiful, it may very well be that we have been captivated by something else. And if we have been captivated by the beauty of something else, how can we possibly do what we promised to help Hannah and Caleb do? Well, the answer to this and what we need to do is to see the beauty of Jesus, to be captivated by the beauty of Jesus. In this letter to the Colossians, Paul has been explaining up to this point where we just read the beauty of Jesus Christ and all of his glory. And he did so to the people of Colossae, which was a, tall, a small, tiny, little insignificant village on, on the outskirts of, um, of society. Uh, and, and it was full of people that were uncouth and, and largely poor. And what they needed was the same thing that the people in Rome needed. They needed to hear the good news of Jesus Christ because the gospel is for all kinds of people. It is for wealthy people and poor people. It is for powerful people and insignificant people. It is for able-bodied people and disabled people. It is for everyone. In chapter 1, Paul spoke about the wonder of Jesus Christ in all of his fullness in his full humanity and full divinity. He spoke about the great salvation that the God-man Jesus accomplished for believers. And he reminded them that Paul himself suffered for the sake of bringing that message of the beauty of Jesus to them, that he was beaten and bruised and almost died in order to bring them this good news because he was so captivated by the beauty of Jesus. And now, after speaking about Jesus' beauty, he turns his attention to practical matters. How are we to be captivated by the beauty of Jesus Christ? And he does so because he knows that it's easy to be drawn away from Jesus, even for those that confess Christ. I want to look at this passage in two ways, according to the two commands that are given in this passage. The first command is to walk in Christ. And you see that in verses 6 and 7. And then the second command is to be captivated by Christ. Um, You see that in the last part from 8 to 15. But let's begin first by seeing that we are to walk in Christ. Look in verse 6. How does it begin? Well, my version says, therefore. And some of the best interpretive advice that you can be given is to ask the question, when you see the therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? It's cheesy, but it's good. Okay, so if you're reading through the Bible and you see the therefore, you go, oh, wait, wait, wait. Why is that there? And you need to go back and reflect on the things that came before. Because the therefore acts like a hinge on a door. The hinge connects that door 
and separates one room from the other. So it kind of swings and opens the door. The therefore is the hinge that opens the door. And it's like in chapter 1, we are in a room in Colossians that says the beauty of Christ. And what Paul has been doing is explaining why Jesus is beautiful and what should captivate us about Jesus. And then the therefore, that hinge that opens the door, goes into the next room that says how to be captivated. Here are the commands that he gives because of the beauty of Christ. And you have to get that order correct. You have to know who Jesus is before you can know how to live in Jesus. That should be obvious, but it really is not. And... Probably, I would think that it's the reason why many of our young people have rejected Jesus. Because we are not showing them the beauty of Jesus before we give them the rules to follow. That's not what Paul does. Paul says, look at the beauty of Jesus. And now because he's beautiful, follow these rules. If our children only hear the rules of Jesus and they don't see the beauty of Jesus, they will rightly ask the question, why should I follow his rules? The rules are vitally important, absolutely. But no one thinks that rules are beautiful. Let me illustrate it this way. If you ask a husband, why do you love your wife? He will not tell you that she makes the best rules and I love my wife because she absolutely makes the best rules. He will tell you what is beautiful in his wife. But he won't say, you know, I just love that she tells me to pick up my clothes off the floor. I just love that she constantly reminds me about all the things that I've done wrong. I just love that she constantly is telling me all of the ways in which I failed. But here's the thing. A husband who thinks his wife is beautiful will follow the rules that his wife makes for him. It's the same thing here. Paul says, if you see the beauty of Jesus Christ, you will follow the rules. And so he says... Therefore, as you have received Christ there in verse 6, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, in other words, as you have received him as the most beautiful thing in the world, so walk in him. That's the first command. And we can break down this command in two ways. We are to walk in Jesus. First of all, to walk. This is very simple. To walk simply means to live every aspect of your life in Jesus Christ, being in Jesus. To walk was the metaphor that was used in the ancient days to describe all areas of your life. Because if you were going anywhere, if you were doing anything, you were going to be walking. Almost no one had any other mode of transportation. Everyone walked. Walking was just every part of your life. And so Paul says, in every part of your life, as you walk in everything that you do, walk in Christ, live in Christ. And then secondly, he says to walk, but to walk specifically in Jesus Christ. So he says, and really to walk in Jesus, the in Jesus is the thing that really helps us understand our lives as Christians. Because it's not that we are living on our own, but we are living as one who as in Jesus, Jesus Christ. Earlier today in the first service, I wore a robe and I showed him, I stepped out behind the pulpit and I showed him how I was in the robe, completely covered, almost except for my head and my shoes, you could see, because my robe is probably meant for somebody a little bit taller than me, but 
But I was covered. I was living in my robe. Everything I did, the robe was part of me and I was in the robe. And that's what Paul means when he says live in Christ. You're not living on your own, but you're living in Christ. The only way that you're going to be able to walk in Christ is if you are actually in Christ. Because if you're outside of Christ, well, you will not live in Christ. That should be obvious. Well, Paul then goes on to say three reasons how you are enabled to walk in Christ. Look at what he says in verse 7. Walk in Him rooted, built up, and established. Three things. Rooted, built up, and established in the faith. Rooted. By rooted, he means he's borrowing from, from agriculture. And he says, just like a tree who has roots that are put way down into the soil, you have been planted in Jesus. The roots of a tree give it, it all of its nourishment because it, it's in the soil and it's absorbing and soaking up all of the moisture and all of the nutrients from the soil around it. And Paul says, just like a tree, you are rooted in Jesus. Soak up everything from Jesus, from the soil that you are in. And what happens when you soak up those nutrients? Well, trees grow. What's going to happen to you as you are soaking up those nutrients from the soil of Jesus? You are growing in Jesus. Secondly, he says, you are built up. This is from architecture. This is literally meaning there's a foundation and Jesus Christ is the foundation. If you've ever seen a house being built, they have the foundation first. And then what do they do? They begin to finish out the house on top of the foundation and so when Paul says be built up, he's saying you are to be finished out just like a house is finished out and completed on the strong foundation of Jesus Christ, built up and finished out. And what do we do when we finish up houses? Yes, we put up the studs and we put up the frame and then we put up the sheetrock and then we put up all of the beautiful stuff in the house that makes it a place that we want to live. In the same way, Paul says you are being finished out in Jesus Christ, just like a house would be ornately and beautifully finished out in Jesus. And then lastly, he says, established. And this is, interestingly enough, this is a word from the legal uh, profession. From, from, uh, this is a, a legal term. And it essentially means to be confirmed. And here's what Paul is saying, that you have been confirmed in Jesus, just like in a court of law, a testimony is given in order to stabilize and confirm that uh, the argument of the lawyers. In Jesus Christ, you have been confirmed legally. You have a legal standing and legal status in Jesus. So because you are rooted and put down deep in Jesus... Because you have been built up and finished out and are being finished out in Jesus. And because you have a proper legal con confirmed standing with Jesus. Because of that, go walk in Jesus. Live in Jesus. And then he finishes by saying this at the end of verse 7. Just as you were taught. So they were taught these things. And that it needs to be done abounding in thanksgiving. So a couple of practical applications for us. A few, really, not a couple. So in order to walk in Christ, you have to be in Christ. You are walking in something today. Something is holding your life and you are in something. You're either in Jesus Christ or you are in something else. 
You are living your life according to some guiding principle, according to something of beauty. And if you aren't in Christ, you will not walk in Christ, which means you will not be rooted in Christ. You will not be built up in Christ. You will not be established and stable in Christ. You have to be in Christ. Are you in Christ this morning? Secondly, he says that if you are in Christ, there's a way that you can know it. Is your life marked by thankfulness? Is your life marked by thanksgiving? That doesn't mean that you're always happy and giggly all the time and everything is just roses. That's not what he's saying. But it does mean that regardless of the circumstances of your life, in good times and in bad, because as a Christian there are a lot of bad times, that you, your life is marked by thankfulness. And I'll just encourage you to do this. Ask somebody who loves you. Don't ask somebody who you love. Ask somebody who loves you whether or not your life is marked by thankfulness. And the reason why I say ask somebody who loves you, because if they truly love you, they'll tell you the truth. And if you were asked that question today, tell your loved one the truth. Help them see whether or not they are in Christ or not. Be honest with them if they ask you that. The third thing is, the only way anyone ever comes to be in Christ is that someone teaches them. And we need to be teaching our children the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be showing our children the beauty of Jesus Christ. Because, here's the thing, you are naturally, organically, whether or not you know it, teaching everyone around you what you think is beautiful all the time. Here's an example of it. I have evangelized my children in the gospel of LSU football. Alexander was saying, go Tigers, spell G-E-A-U-X, from the time he was about 16 months old. Alexander knows that I think LSU football is beautiful. But does Alexander know that I think Jesus is incomparably beautiful to LSU football? Does he think that I know that the glory of LSU winning a national championship is as comparable to Jesus as the mud that we tracked into our house last week when it was so icy and wet and nasty? That's what LSU is like compared to Jesus and the beauty of Jesus. We need to teach our children the beauty of Jesus because they are, they are picking up from us what we think is beautiful. What do you think is beautiful this morning? Now, God's word teaches us about the beauty of Jesus, as we'll see in a moment. And the church does help us understand these things. We have to be taught these things. So what have you learned and what are you teaching? Secondly, we are to be taken captive by Christ. This is the longer section in 8 through 15. But in many ways, this is simply a subpoint of the first command. The rest of the book of Colossians, he is explaining how it is we walk in Christ. And so he says, well, here's how you are to walk in Christ, to explain it a little bit further. And he begins by explaining it negatively. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. I'll try to sum this up fairly quickly. 
Basically, what he is saying is there's nothing in this world that is neutral. Nothing in this world that doesn't take a stand for Christ or against Christ. Every school of thought, every tradition, every culture either is for Jesus or against Jesus. And you might say, well, it's a good thing I don't subscribe to any high-minded philosophies. I'm just a normal, average, everyday person. I don't really have a philosophy of my own. Well, I've got news for you. That is a philosophy. And any philosophy that says it isn't a philosophy is the epitome of a deceitful philosophy. You have a philosophy. You are living by a philosophy. You are living by something. The question isn't whether or not you have a philosophy. The question is whether or not your philosophy is according to the elemental spirits of the world and human tradition or whether it's according to Christ. Because we are to be taken captive by Christ, not by the philosophies of the world. And here's the good news. What follows, starting in verse 9, Paul tells us how we are to avoid being taken captive by the philosophies of the world and to be taken captive by Christ. And it begins in verse 9 by seeing who Jesus is. So look there at verse 9. What does he say? First, for in him, that's in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Okay, we can stop there and just go home and think about that for the rest of the day, right? I'm not going to, but I mean, we could because that one sentence is mind-blowing. The whole fullness of deity dwells in Jesus Christ bodily. Amazing that in a man, the divine dwells in its fullness. Jesus isn't just a great teacher for you to take advice from or, or just a super spiritual guide to show you how to live. Jesus is God in the flesh. And seeing Jesus and treating him any other way diminishes his beauty. That's the first thing. Look at who Jesus is. He is fully God and fully man. He dwells in the deity dwells in fullness bodily. Second, Paul says in verse 10, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So Jesus is the fullness of the deity and you have been filled by the fullness of the deity in Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus Christ that, or, or let me say it like this, okay. Jesus is the head of all rule and authority because he is deity. And Jesus Christ has filled you up with his beauty. And it's in Jesus Christ and only in Jesus Christ that you will be satisfied in this world. Not only that, but because Jesus Christ now rules in power and authority, he has filled you up with his power and authority. And if you're filled up with his power and authority, then you rule under his rule over the elemental spirits of the world. That is to say that it is only in Christ that you have power over the elemental spirits of the world. And what does that mean? That means that it's only in Jesus that you are enabled to live a life pleasing to God, not according to man's wisdom, 
not according to what Satan says, not according to envy or vice or pursuing anything that you want, but pursuing the things that God wants for you when everything else in the world says, no, don't follow those things. You have been given power to live in Christ, for Christ. Then further in verses 11 through 14, this is the third thing. Paul goes on to explain the beauty of Christ in terms of our cleansing. He says that if you are in Christ, you have been circumcised, but not with a physical circumcision. Well, what does that mean? Well, circumcision was the Old Testament sign and seal of our cleansing by Christ. And what he's saying is your spiritual circumcision, which is circumcision, which is also your spiritual baptism, in that you were made clean from sin. And it's through the cross of Jesus, in his taking your penalty on himself, and through his resurrection, that you have passed from death to life. You are alive in Jesus. In verse 13, he says, you were dead in your trespasses, which means rebellion. You were dead in your rebellion and sin against God. But in Christ's life, death, and resurrection, all of our sins have been forgiven. Verse 14, that means that your debts have been paid by Jesus. On the balance sheet of your life, there are no longer any legal demands that you must pay for your sins because they have all been paid for. You see, the Romans, and well, look, look at verse um, 14 in the very middle, or uh, at the very end of verse 14, he says, this he set aside, nailing to the cross. And what Paul is thinking about is what the Romans would do whenever they would crucify somebody. They would take a sign and they would write on that sign the crimes of the person that was being crucified. And then as the person was being crucified, they would nail it onto the cross as a sign to say, this person is paying for their sins. And what Paul is saying that is when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, all of your sins were nailed to the cross as well so that all of them have been paid for, so that you now have legal standing with God. There is no legal um, debt that must be paid because Jesus paid it all. And in doing so, what did Jesus do? He disarmed the rulers and authorities of the, wall, uh, of the world and displayed them as shameful fakes. He disarmed the rulers in verse 15 and authorities to put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Now, all of these things are open and available to you, but how do you receive them? How do you get this life in Christ? How are you able to not be captivated by any of the philosophies of the world? You see it in verse 12. Here's the key. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The key to unlocking all of this is through faith, that you can have these things from Jesus Christ if you believe in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. All of these things are the really beautiful things about Jesus Christ. We have a Savior, and we are to reflect on the fullness of deity of Jesus Christ and be in awe of him. Let me conclude um, in this way because I want us to be a people who show our children, who show our spouse, who show our loved ones, our neighbors, our friends, the beauty of Jesus. So I'll close by telling you this story. 
of how you can do this. When I was about 10 years old, I think maybe about 10, I could have been younger. I remember during Easter, uh, the week of Easter, I remember watching one of those Easter shows about Jesus. Um, and it was the mini series one. I don't remember the exact name of it. It might be Messiah, Son of God, or something like that. But they showed uh, the life of Jesus over a few weeks. And, and every night, my dad and I would sit down and watch uh, this show. Um, and every night, it was fine until Jesus was finally, that, that last night, nailed to the cross. And I remember watching it, and it was a very emotional moment. But I remember looking over at my dad, and my dad had his head in his hands, covering his eyes, sobbing and crying. And I remember feeling really uncomfortable. And I'm like, man, dad is really ugly crying. Because Dotson's only ugly cry. That's it. And I'm like, oh, this is very uncomfortable. And I understand it's a very emotional moment. And I just, I kind of just wanted to sink back in my chair and be invisible. Because there was my dad just bawling his eyes out. Um, and the show, of course, it went off and... Um, you know, just so you know, the end of the story, Jesus raises from the dead. Praise the Lord, that's good news. Well, it ended at that point, and my dad was still bawling his eyes out. And I just thought, if I just sit here quietly, maybe he'll forget that I was here. And he didn't forget. He just sat there for a while crying. And I got up to leave, and I had to walk in front of his chair to leave because I just wanted to get out of that uncomfortableness. And he stood up, and he grabbed me, and he held me. And he said in my ear, Kelly, you have to believe in Jesus. You have to believe in Jesus. That was it. He cried for a little bit more. I started crying. And then he let me go. That was it. How do you show your children, your spouse, your loved ones, the beauty of Jesus? Take those little moments, even when they're uncomfortable, maybe especially when they're uncomfortable, you see, my dad did a lot of things in my life that showed me the beauty of Jesus. Almost every morning that I woke up, I saw my dad reading his Bible. And that, over the years, made an impression on me. My dad, almost every night, would try to read the Bible with us as children, and we were terrible. <laughs> he tried. Every Sunday, we were at church. He impressed upon us the importance of Christ. But the thing that I really remember is him saying, you have to believe in Jesus because he believed in the beauty of Jesus Christ. Do you see the beauty of Jesus? Because if you do, you will walk in Jesus and you will be captivated by him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today and I pray that we would be captivated by the beauty of Jesus Christ and nothing else in this world. Lord, we can only be captivated by the work of the Spirit in us to show us the glory of Jesus because there's so many distractions in this world. So I do pray that you would help us. Help us today to go home, to reflect upon the beauty and to show the beauty to others. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to close by singing Rock of Ages. Let's stand.